Welcome to a Songs and Stories flashback, a repeat of a 2009 interview with singer-songwriter Chuck Brodsky, along with some new music and some news about his upcoming Bay Area appearances here on the West Coast in January of 2015, which will be coming very quickly. Here we go. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Songs and Stories, or should I say welcome back to Songs and Stories. I think I skipped a month on this. Uh, I missed you. I hope you missed me, and I hope you missed um, these interviews because we're back on a regular basis. Um, I actually skipped last month because I was working on a new little holiday record, a a six-song EP called Lump of Coal. It's got, uh, it was actually a fun little project. It's got three live tracks from some solo house concerts, and then it's got... uh, a song about Black Friday called Black Friday's Eve, and a song about the the creepy European Christmas monster called the Krampus, and a song called the Krampus comes out tonight. But uh, put that together in in over the course of a month and getting it out there, and it's on my site at michaelgather.com, and it's getting a little radio play. And it was really fun to do like a six-song record that didn't take me six months and a lot of money. It was just a nice little project. It took me a little time and a little bit of money <laughs> instead. So that's something if you want to take a look at that and have a listen. Meanwhile, back here on the podcast, I was thinking about the fact that it's end of the year, everybody's really busy, and I haven't really gotten around to to interviewing anybody. So what I thought I would do is do what I really haven't done before is a, a rerun of an older interview. And for those of you who might be new to the Songs and Stories podcast, whether you hear it on my site or iTunes or Stitcher or maybe Grateful Dread Radio, um, this one goes back a few years, and it's with one of my favorite songwriters. It's also cool because he's coming out here uh, at the end of January, which will, uh, which will happen very soon. He's playing our Corlitas concert music series on Friday, January 30th. He's also playing The Woodshed in Willow Creek, Los Gatos, San Jose, California on Saturday, January 31st. So he'll be out for a couple of shows and you can find out about, well, you can go to chuckbrodsky.com, you can go to michaelgaither.com, you can go to woodshed.org and find out about those shows. The I don't think the, the listings are up yet because it is a little ways out, but uh, keep those dates in mind, end of January and see one of my very, very favorite songwriters um, in a couple of nights, which would be cool. Uh, this interview in particular took place after I got to open for Chuck a couple of times. And this one was, um, we played the Mission City Coffee up in Santa Clara, which was a really nice venue. And uh, I got to open for him for the second time. And then the day after that show, he came down this way and played on Cape Pig Radio. So we got together really in the car, and you can tell because the car and the window acoustics make it kind of bouncy. But I got a chance to to talk to Chuck one-on-one about songwriting and influences and just kind of his approach to writing. And he really is a master, master storyteller, songwriter. So it was nice to kind of document this, and I thought it was very, very much worth repeating. To make this a little more um, revised, I'm going to casually go to my website and pull up the titles so I get them right. I'm going to give you a couple of new clips. Last time we interviewed Chuck, I used clips from his um, his live album called Two Sets, a really nice live record. So to revise this one, 
you're going to hear uh, Out of Time, Out of Place off Subtotal Eclipse, a more recent record, as well as Disco Demolition off Baseball Ballads 2. So give those a listen. Listen to Chuck, and meanwhile, you can mark your calendar for the end of January for the Carlita Show on the 30th or the Woodshed Show on the 31st. And uh, visit michaelgather.com and, then most importantly, chuckbrodsky.com while you're listening. Uh, on my site, under the podcast notes for 140, I'll put some links to Chuck's other information as well. So here we go. Here's a, a little taste of Chuck Brodsky and then a chat with him a few years ago outside KPIG Radio. Here we go. Well, everyone's wearing the latest designs The newest commercials play with their minds But there's nothing to wish for, nothing to chase For a man out of time, a man out of place He doesn't dress up or go shopping for clothes He has comfortable shoes, he has two pair of those He doesn't go far, he doesn't go fast He fixes the things that were made to last He's got no cell phone, no answering machine His old typewriter, it has no screen He's never been to cyberspace Man out of time, man out of place Man out of time in his house in the woods He'd like to just keep it that way if he could But buildings go up, people move closer First you hear the chainsaws and then the bulldozers Man out of time, man out of place Man out of step with a whole human race He doesn't consume and he tries not to waste He's a man out of time, he's a man out of place Good riddance to the 70s When disco was the rage 12-inch vinyl singles Lip-syncing from the stage The white socks near the cellar There were mostly empty seats there was the usual sarcasm from the writers on the beat. The owner of the White Sox was a fella named Bill Veck. Master of promotions, things he never would expect. The guy who signed a midget and then sent him up to bat. This time signed off on something even crazier than that. In between games of a Twilight doubleheader, a rock and roll DJ would blow up disco records. If he brought an LP and Dropped it in the crate, you'd only have to pay 98 cents admission at the gate. On the buses to the ballpark, you didn't see a lot of kids. You didn't see a lot of baseball caps or many baseball mitts. People had been drinking long before they paid their fares. Traffic on the Dan Ryan, backed up to O'Hare. Comiskey Park, Chicago, didn't have as many seats This was needed to accommodate thousands in the streets They started climbing fences, they started climbing poles They had come to conquer in the name of rock and roll um, I guess we'll start off with, how did you get out here in the Bay Area? And about how long were you out here for? Well, I came out in 1981 uh-huh. um, I hitchhiked out here 
kind of for the adventure of it. I mm-hmm. didn't plan on staying. I just thought I'd come out, check it out, head back east. And, and you wouldn't take the bus money from your mother no, for that story? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I ended up staying 15 years. I didn't plan on it, but yeah. uh, one thing led to another. I fell in with friends and mm-hmm. uh, was offered some work and found a place to live. And next thing I know, 15 years had passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been living on the East Coast now in North Carolina the mm-hmm. last 15 years, and yeah, come out here once a year now. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think my friend Dave Rhodes, who came down to the show Friday, I think you he remember you from the Felton days. Oh yeah. And um, Dave's actually one of my oldest and best friends, and he's he's the guy that got me going to Strawberry. And so anything that I've done musically on this on this weird path that I've gone, I always partially you know blame him for, which is great. <laughs> But um, I think the first time I heard you was at Strawberry because everybody was saying, there's this guy, Chuck Brodsky, singing this song, No More Mr. Nice Guy and Blum. you got to go see him. And so those songs seem to resonate most with people because they're funnier and then you go off in the more narrative stuff or do people like different things? People like different things. Yeah. Um, you know, the K-Pig audience, I think, would gravitate towards a song like No More Mr. Nice Guy. And yeah. I know K-Pig played that song heavily mm-hmm. when the album that's on first came out. Mm-hmm. And a funny thing actually happened with Strawberry and that song. Mm-hmm. The, the one and only time I've ever played at Strawberry, mm-hmm. I played, I think, the first set of the day, and I was warned that I should expect empty blankets. Right, right. You know, I would just be playing to a field of empty blankets, yeah. but that, not to worry, people would be listening in the campground. Mm-hmm. But strategically, because I knew that K-Pig had been playing No More Mr. Nice Guy, mm-hmm. I decided to open with it. And that made oh. people in the campground it's that realize, guy. oh, it's that, it's guy. that guy. Oh, and Smart. you know, within five minutes, they were all streaming up. That's great. And you know, by my second or third song, the theater was full. Right. So it was, it was kind of cool. Good, to... good set list on your part. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, a lot of your songs are real. Often have a real strong narrative, beginning and end. Um, what were kind of your influences, and kind of do you recall back? I think your first song was the Angel song. One of your first The songs. oldest one that I still play. It wasn't one of my first, yeah. but I'd been writing for a lot of years, but yeah. I didn't keep any of that old mm-hmm. stuff before that. Yeah. Um, the story songs, I, I'd i say I would probably was influenced most of all by um, some of the early Bob Dylan mm-hmm. songs that were very much in that story vein, mm-hmm. and old traditional folk music. Um, just the idea of that story ballad, it goes back, uh, you know, hundred years mm-hmm. really yeah um, I just have always been attracted to that partly because there's less emphasis on form I think uh-huh. you know the, the the typical pop song has got to have you know an a part a B part a bridge a chorus and back to the a part you know there's a whole formula right and right. it's it's very tight and you really have to follow that formula if you have any hopes for having any commercial success so mm-hmm. not caring about that it freed me up. And uh, story songs just seem like something that uh, I could write without caring about some of those rules and write more from my heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or what you wanted to say. What I wanted about. to say, yeah. And I think it allows you to be as, as prescriptive as you want, too. I know when, I'm mm-hmm. doing, when I was first starting to write, I had a friend of mine that was helping me out, and I wrote a song about my dad, and um, he was a construction worker, and I had, I had too many verses, and my friend of mine said, it's a folk song. You can have four verses in a bridge. Just put the whole thing in. He'll cut it. <laughs> and I left it alone. Four verses would be minus two of the four. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a couple of these. I think, um, I think the first one that really resonated with me, because I was young, 
pick apples, mm -hmm. and all the people that I worked with were illegals from yeah. Mexico, and um, you know they had to worry about the immigration police coming around, which in mm -hmm. Spanish is La Migra, yeah. and uh, we always had an eye out for La Migra, and if anybody ever saw them drive up the driveway to the orchard, which did happen a few times, um, we'd whistle, and everybody would run, mm -hmm. scatter, and disappear into the trees, and come back out half hour later after La Migra was gone. So would you ever whistle back when they were gone or they would just kind of like come out on their own? They just come out on their own. Yeah. They knew the routine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming you're a baseball fan. Big baseball fan, yeah. <laughs> My team won the World Series this year. It was a good year. It was. Yeah. Um, so, so for the baseball songs, I'm imagining you're doing, a, you do a lot of research because the amount of detail you get, you probably couldn't just get it from a casual conversation. What's involved in a song like Letters in the Dirt? Well, you know, of all my baseball songs, that one there is the most personal one. Mm -hmm. um, it involved a little bit less research than some of the others just because it was a subject that was very personal for me. And and the song really is more about the relationship with uh, between my dad and me mm -hmm. than it is about this ball player named Richie Allen. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole point of the song is that my dad taught me um, to root for the home team and not boo the local players, even though this guy was being booed by the hometown fans, mm -hmm. um, you know, there were racial reasons for that, that I was too young to understand, but all that mattered to me at the time was that he was playing for the hometown team and you should cheer them. That's your job. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what you do. That's what you do. Yeah. Um, let me see. What else? So what's your, do you have a, a sort of a songwriting approach where you write every day? Do you kind of wait for inspiration or... I wait for inspiration. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to force anything. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes an idea that moves me mm -hmm. to get me going, and it also takes um, enough depth to that idea that I can see it going somewhere or I can see some relationships to explore or some tension mm -hmm. between a couple of people or objects, what have you. Um, a lot of ideas I just reject right away now after being a writer for years. I can mm -hmm. look at the idea and say, well, it's a neat idea, it's a sweet idea, or this, that. But, but it wouldn't carry for four minutes? Right. I, I could tell the whole thing in eight lines. There's yeah. nowhere else yeah. to take it. And I'm better at recognizing that now than I used to be, so I don't waste mm -hmm. time trying to write something and then having to force something. If there's nothing there to begin with, you can't force it. There's yeah. just nothing there. Or not enough there. So it's probably a, probably a matter of writing for so many years and just developing a really good filter. Yeah. yeah. You know, I call it my so what test. Hmm. It has to pass the so what yeah. test. What a great... This is a great... So what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it does... Definitely lots of things fall under that so what category. Um, is it going to be interesting enough to listen to? And I figure I'm a typical listener. If, mm -hmm. if it's something that is going to wear thin on me, it's probably going to wear thin on... Uh -huh. The next person too. Yeah. It kind of probably goes back to the idea of just writing for yourself. If it's going to amuse you for four and a half minutes or so, then other people might like it too. And if not, so what? That's how I feel. Yeah. You know, I, I'm writing basically for myself to perform these songs myself. Um, it's always a thrill when somebody else likes my song enough to want to perform it or want to record it. But mm -hmm. I'm not writing for other people right. to. Uh, you know, to yeah. sing these songs. I'm writing them for me to sing. And so, you know, I have less 
uh, less to worry about, less, yeah. to, less. And probably too, if you're going to write and record this thing and you're going to play it, you want it to be something you don't mind playing several times a week for the next several years. <laughs> if you don't like it in the first place, you're going to get sick of it if you don't like it. Oh, if I didn't like it in the first place, I would never play it the first time yeah. publicly. You know, I I won't sign my name to something I don't mm-hmm. really like. Yeah. You know, and then I won't carry it forward into the world and, you know, sing it publicly if I don't really like it. That mm-hmm. That's the prerequisite right there. Yeah. I have to be proud of it. I have to feel like I did a good job with this song. It has to be something that is enjoyable to sing and play. And if any of those elements are missing, then it's not going to survive. Mm-hmm. It either needs more work or I'll drop it. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself going back to sort of some of the ideas and pulling maybe a lyric out for something else? No, not I, too much. I don't. I have kept, you know, piles and piles and piles of lyrics, thinking that someday I'll get back to this one, or someday I'll, I'll pick this up and finish it, or you know, that's a good line, or those are four good lines. I ought to save them and use them mm-hmm. in some other song someday. But the reality is, I have never gone back to any of these and yeah. found anything of use. I. I they may look like good lines, and I may save them, but I really don't ever use mm-hmm. them. I've kind of found with, with lines like that, and it's it's so hard to keep track of what I've written. When you have when you have when you end up with binders and notebooks full of stuff, yeah. and you you find a good line, and like, don't want to spend the time like organizing all these old things, or just work on new stuff, which yeah. is usually more fun. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you're not um, you know, I may not necessarily even grasp the context of what I was. What I meant in the first place when I wrote those lines, mm-hmm. if I come back to it two years later. That's true. So I have no idea where my head what was What was at. I doing when I wrote this? Yeah. yeah. What, what did I think I was writing? Yeah. yeah they, they, they may appear to mean something completely different today, and that's fine, too, but uh, there's no way I can plug back into the headspace I was in. I can see, yeah, I, I, I can correlate because I, I, you know, I have piles of these little spiral notebooks that I keep, and I've gone through if I'm... If I haven't written for a while, I'll go back and I'll look at my ideas that I wrote like a year ago, and I'll what was going on with this, and what did I mean by what is this, what word is this that I scrawled out, and for me, I think it's just I I, I tend to keep the notebooks just to kind of keep that channel open, so some, some, when something good does come along, I can go with it. But but going back and revisiting old lyrics, yeah, not so much. Well, if I have you know two three solid verses, mm-hmm. then I may come back. Maybe all it needs is one verse. Maybe it just needs a way out. Mm-hmm. You know, a punchline, an or exit, something. Yeah. or something, or just a way of wrapping it all up and a, yeah. and a graceful way to leave. Um, and and so sometimes, sometimes I will finish something like that. But if it's just a matter of four lines or eight lines or two lines, no, I I would tend to just move throw on. it away and move on. Yeah, probably good good advice. Um, one last question. You talked about this. The, the story's probably on this CD, but you talked about it on Friday. The the, the letter that came af- after Take It Out Back, yeah. the person that didn't get the irony. Can you talk about that song a little bit? And Actually, if you call, recall where it possibly came from. And... Um, well, I wrote it because of where I used to live in North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, up on a mountainside, pretty far out into the country, about a half an hour from the nearest town. And... Um, the people that lived around me typically dumped their garbage or mm-hmm. large appliances down the hillsides behind their homes. And you see it here, too. You probably see it everywhere. Oh, you yeah. do. You do. And so I was lampooning that. Um, you know, and I, the, the song was 
meant it was, it was as a, irony. It wasn't a how-to song. It no. wasn't procedural. This is how you take a washer and throw it down the hill. You know? I mean, that's the beauty of irony, though, is that, that it sounds like you mean it. Yeah. Except that it's so overstated that you couldn't possibly mean it. Right. And yet, every now and then, somebody just doesn't get it. Yeah. Or they're not listening carefully enough, and they think you're being serious. And so that's exactly what happened. The song was recorded by a bluegrass band mm-hmm. who got an irate email from somebody who heard <laughs> them sing it and could not believe that they were actually... Um, Standing up and singing a song that uh, recommended that people <laughs> dump their garbage in rivers and yeah. hillsides. This is not a problem to dispose of your used equipment. <laughs> Have you got any kind of response with um, Blow em Away as well, or is people t- tend to get that because it's pretty much over the top? Uh, I have had a few occasions yeah. where that also provoked um, some surprisingly negative Yeah responses because I think that song is so over the top that mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly not get it. That's but why it's so funny. You know, are you and, every, with... and everybody's had that impulse, but common sense always prevails. No, I'm not going to take out a gun and and shoot this car. But you know, we you know we all have our animal side to us, and everybody's thought that. <laughs> you know? Well, have you ever heard of a program called West Coast Live with Serge yeah. Thompson? Yeah, I was on that show like 17, 18 years ago when I still lived in the Bay Area, and I played that song. And as soon as I finished, said came back out onto the stage with the microphone to interview me, and the first words out of his mouth were, I have to tell you, I really don't like that song. <laughs> In front of the live audience, everyone was just stunned and <gasps> breathless. Yeah. And, you know, what can you say? What do you do when the host doesn't get it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah... Throw up your hands. Yeah. Sorry. Say, oh, well. You know, I'll sing something else next time. <laughs> Funny. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Cool. Well, um, appreciate the time. It's good. It was a great opening for you. I was going to go to the show anyway, but it was kind of, I think I walked up on stage and I said, I get to play and see Chuck Brodsky. It's a good night. <laughs> so, so we'll see you next year when you come out. Good. It's great. good to hear you, too. And good luck with the new CD. Thanks. Thanks. I'd forgotten how much fun that interview was. Once again, Chuck Brodsky talking about storytelling, songwriting, and baseball, and just what an amazing, amazing songwriter. And you can see him very soon. Uh, Once again, if you want to mark your calendars, uh, he's going to be at the Corlitas Cultural Center on Friday, January 30th, 2015. There, I said it, 2015. And he'll be at um, he'll be performing for the Woodshed. You can find out more about that at woodshed.org. He'll be on there on Saturday, January 31st at I believe it's St. James Church uh, near Willow Glen, California, near Los Gatos, San Jose. That series is hosted by our good friends Bev Barnett and Greg Newland, and it's uh, they put a lot of work into that. So, good chance to see a Chuck a couple of times when he comes down. So check that out. Check out either or both shows. We both appreciate it. So would Chuck. And uh, again, woodshed.org, chuckbrodsky.com. You can also go to michaelgather.com. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com for information about this podcast, Songs and Stories, episode number 140. Or if you want to learn more about the Lump of Coal EP I have out for the holidays. It's, it's kind of a fun little record. You can listen to that and maybe pick up a copy or spread the word. 
So that's it for Songs and Stories 140. Next month will be the holiday month of December, Christmas and Hanukkah and the eve of New Year's. And I, I don't know if I'll get an interview together in time for that. I trying to get together with a couple of folks but if not i'll have something up in the next few weeks so keep an eye on michaelgather.com and subscribe on itunes and if you're listening on grateful dread radio or casey cafe radio just keep tuning in at the same time we all appreciate it and uh, i appreciate it very much as well do the artist we get to uh i get time i get i'm so good with english language as do the artists that i get to spend time with on this on this little podcast program. Thanks again for Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither. Take care.